The Book Nook on WYSO is presented by the Greene County Public Library, with additional support from Clark County Public Library, Dayton Metro Library, Tip City Public Library, Washington Centerville Public Library, and Wright Memorial Public Library. Hello, welcome to the Book Nook on WISO. I'm Vic McCunis. It's my pleasure to welcome to the studio today Rabbi Aubrey Glazer. He uh, comes in all the way from Dayton, Ohio, and uh, Aubrey's got a new book out. Aubrey, uh, I'm curious here. Uh, I'm wondering who you are and how you got to Dayton. It's a great question. It all comes back to the book, which is who we all are, merest breath upon breath. So I am a, a scholar, a rabbi, a poet, a mystic, and translator, commentator, and the opportunity to be able to come to serve as senior rabbi of Beth Abraham Synagogue in Dayton was what drew me here, but really also the arts, the culture, why so, all the wonderful things that are uh, here in, uh, in Dayton and Yellow Springs really drew me to be able to provide um, my my opportunities for for growth and and for for curiosity in terms of community building with our local Jewish community, but also the the larger community um, at Braun. Did you decide right away that you wanted to be a rabbi? Did didn't you want to be an architect or a filmmaker or something like that before you decided to take that path? That's very true. It was quite a circuitous route. So it began really um, once I. I call it graduating from the different uh, religious institutions that I was brought up in, the um, the yeshiva day schools. I kind of graduated from each denomination that I was sent to by my parents and eventually left to go to art school, from art school to architecture, from architecture to filmmaking, and then eventually it was a very direct route into the rabbinate. And then from there, completed my, my PhD in a very, very obscure field called Hebrew hermeneutics, which relates to this book because you remember the, um, the messenger on FTT Floris, that messenger um, Hermes, what he used to do here. He was, he was known in Greek mythology for, for sending messages. So I'm really interested in how texts like the, the text that we are looking at in Mirror's Breath called Kohelet or Ecclesiastes in English, how does it deliver a message? And so through all those highways and byways of my, my own searching. I very much have a restless, journeying soul. I've always been interested and concerned with how do texts that are important to us that we would call sacred, how do they make meaning and how do they guide our lives and how do they provide us with a sense of wisdom? This uh, text has been studied for millennia, and there's a lot of varying opinions about it, aren't there? Um, it was written supposedly by King Solomon, but who knows? And, and it, it, it comes from a, a female or a male, or it's all very kind of muddled and confusing, isn't it? Kind of like life. And that's why I embrace it. I mean, one of the things that I found so interesting is that there are no clear-cut answers to all the questions that you're raising, and there's many, many more within the book itself. So the first question that we ask right from chapter 1, verse 1, is authorship, right? It's attributed to King Solomon, but it's very clear as you move through the book, chapter by chapter, that this is written in the style of or inspired by the archetypal wisdom of someone like a Solomon. But clearly then, 
that stands in direct contradiction to the name of the book in Hebrew, which is Kohelet. And Kohelet is a feminine gerund, right? It's a feminine, perhaps a feminine role, a feminine process, but it could be a feminine uh, mask or archetype. And so the whole thing is, is shrouded in mystery, as you suggest, and it really is reflective of the way that um, life can sometimes be approached. It can strike us as being an enigma wrapped in a mystery, and we need to be able to develop tools for guiding ourselves to living with uh, the sense of wisdom that emerges from this process. I wouldn't say it's a person. For me, what, I, what I've begun to really understand by spending a lot of time with Kohelet is that it's a process. It's a process of gathering people together, of aggregating wisdom, of, of sharing stories and, and folk wisdom, and then allowing clarity and, uh, and more light to emerge in that process that we call Kohelet. But the word Kohelet itself, which is translated um, through the, the King James Version as, as Ecclesiastes, that really, from the Latin, was a, a way of being able to say, this is what it means for the person who gathers people together to share wisdom. So it's, it was understood as being the gatherer or the, uh, the aggregator. But I really see it as a, as a process. When people come together and they share in these pithy aphorisms and, and use them as a, a reflective tool uh, for the direction of their own lives, then that process can give us a little bit more wisdom. Not always clarity. There's a lot of light and there's a lot of darkness that Kohelet is trying to navigate through, just as we experience a lot of light and darkness in our own lives. And that's really what continues to draw me to what is considered to be one of the strangest books of the Bible. The book is Merest Breath. Aubrey Glazer joins us, and uh, he was joined by Martin Cohen in this uh, book. Martin did the translating, correct? Correct. Martin is a, a remarkably talented translator, and he's in the process of translating uh, the the first five books of the Pentateuch, and we're working on that project together as well. And I was so drawn to the mellifluous nature of his translation, which really is inhabiting a kind of conversation that he's having with Kohelet. And it felt to me like it was in many ways these curious conversations over coffee with Kohelet, as I refer to it in the book. And I felt like I was drawn into a conversation with Martin speaking with Kohelet. I kind of pulled up a chair at the table at the cafe, and it led to my own commentary, which really is in conversation with Martin's first layer commentary. So he does the first the first layer is translation, as well as an introductory commentary, and then I engage in dialogue and response to parts of his commentary and translation, as well as many other extremely diverse texts and, uh, and commentaries that are both near and far from the text of Kohelet. You're listening to The Book Nook on WYSO at 91.3 on your dial, fact-based journalism in service of democracy. And uh, we're talking about Mira's breath. The, the question that we all have is uh, the big question in this uh, text, and it's, why are we here? This is one of the major questions that propels Kohelet, both as a person, as a wisdom school, and as a process to, to sit with. Right? What is the purpose of existence? Why am I here? And the, the title itself, and this is really the second verse of the, of the first chapter, repeats this as a kind of incantation or, or a mantra. If you forget why you were here, 
then just go back and look at the breath. Focus on the inhalation and the exhalation. Look at the cycle of breath that you inhabit and that you use in relationship to your own life and your own existence and realize you have a certain number of breaths on this mortal coil. What are you going to do with your breath? And Kohelet has a wonderfully um, elliptic and economic way of being able to encapsulate it so that you can take that wisdom and walk with it. So it becomes a mantra, Hevel Havalim Amar Kohelet Hakol Havel. It's a repetition of this word, which is breath, vapor. Oftentimes it's been mistranslated, and this is one of the other inspirations for diving deep into this book. It really is not meant to be vanity of vanities or futility of futilities, which we see in a number of the English translations. If that was the reason why we were here, to say that life is futile and that life is vain, I'm not sure I would make it through the doorway, right? I would probably jump off a bridge. It would lead me to a, a deep sense of manic depression. And Kohelet is, is not suggesting that life is vain and futile. We are here because we need to bring more light into dark places. We need to be able to navigate the world with greater wisdom and alacrity and more skillful means not to give up and to throw in the towel. And that's one of the interpretive problems that comes from a translation that really just doesn't quite capture the poetics of the Hebrew. And that's why I insisted that I wanted the title of the book to really focus on that and to say, merest breath is the way we draw ourselves into this conversation. Why are we here? What are you going to do while you're still breathing, while you're still inhaling oxygen and exhaling oxygen and, and being part of the cycle of life that has come thousands of years before you and will extend thousands of years beyond you, all carried through the breath. What do you want to do with that breath? What difference do you want to make? What light do you want to bring into dark spaces of the world? What kind of clarity and discernment do you want to be able to, 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 um, to mobilize through the power and the nourishment of the breath? And yet we have so many people who just think that they need to get more money, more money, if they can have more money, maybe they'll be happy. And that's why Solomon, as in many ways a foil or an archetype, the king who had everything, right? Who had all the orchards, all the harems, all the vineyards, all the coffers in the world. And, and in many ways, that's important to bring in the, the, the most wealthy monarch in the, the time that, uh, that he was ruling to be able to say, look, I have access to every material pleasure in the world and I'm going to make an experiment. In these 12 chapters, I'm going to examine and touch and taste and feel and just revel like a hedonist in all of this materialism. And I can tell you, it doesn't bring any sense of happiness that is lasting. I'm searching for something beyond that kind of fleeting pleasure. What is it Kohelet is looking for? It's, it's wisdom. Wisdom to live a life with meaning, with integrity, and with a sense of purpose, and also a sense of, of flexibility. That's one of the things that I'm sure listeners of Weissel will know, and music fans will know, that there, it's interesting to see in the third chapter how it became a folk anthem, right? To every season, turn, turn, there is a season, right, mm -hmm. for everything under the sun. That comes straight from Kohelet and what Kohelet is trying to teach us. And I think that it was Pete Seeger and the birds and the mamas and the papas. It was a, it was a big hit, right, in the 60s because it spoke to 
a generation then as now that understands that we have to be present in the time where we are living. And there is a time for every opportunity, for every impulse, for every um, kind of experience if we're actually aware of where we are and how we are breathing through that specific moment. And that's part of the wisdom that Kohelet is, is trying to, to share with us, is, is to be aware, be alive, be conscious of what it is that's going on around you and learn to go with the flow, right? There's, mm -hmm. There are a lot of really interesting parallels and it may be a topic for a different conversation at a different time, but I've noticed that if you really wanna to try to appreciate what Kohelet is doing from the perspective of being a Hebrew sage, that if you look in the parallel tradition, let's say, of Lao Tzu and, uh, and Chinese Taoism, there is an understanding that you, you need to be present to the world, you need to understand the power of the breath and the way that emerges from that is being able, the sage is the one who can navigate the way in whichever way that it flows and you have to learn how to flow with the times, to flow with the water and to allow it to, to wash over you. A lot of interesting water imagery here also in Kohelet. I've been joined by Rav Aubrey Glazer. We're talking about the book Merest Breath. Tell us about Leonard Cohen and your connection. You, you clearly feel a connection with him. I feel a very deep and abiding connection. I actually dedicated an earlier book um, to his, his songbook, the Montreal Bard songbook called Tangle of Matter and Ghost, Leonard Cohen's post-secular songbook of mysticism's Jewish and beyond. And I was actually sitting... The setting of the book, remember, is that this is written by King Solomon, who was who reigned over Jerusalem. And I was sitting in Jerusalem uh, a few summers ago, studying with a, a remarkable Jewish philosopher who I uh, was arguing with as to whether or not we could consider Kohelet to be channeled through the voice of the Hebrew cynic um, Leonard Cohen. Is it possible that through his music and through the appeal the wide-ranging appeal that the, the lyrics of Leonard Cohen continue to have for us, does he have the same kind of resonance as Kohelet? And after many, many hours of, of back and forth with one of my teachers, I realized that I do believe that if, if uh, there was a soundtrack to Kohelet, aside from, from Pete Seeger being able to sing Chapter 3, it feels to me like everything original that Leonard Cohen has done that has touched our souls in a very deep and, and powerful way. The ability to um, to move through life with uh, that sense of, of cynicism and, and joy all at once, each in its particular time, to me, very much resonates with uh, the songbook of, of Leonard Cohen. So I, I've spent a lot of time, I continue to go back to his songbook as I do go back to the 12 chapters of, of Kohel. They just seem to be circling uh, again and again in my, uh, in my soulscape. I've been on this planet for a while, and I think a lot of people are really afraid right now. I think there's a lot of fear. And I was reading your book, and, and I got to chapter 8, and you write, When a modern nation, embracing demonic ideals and turning its back on decency, chose to be governed by leaders who made no secret of their moral depravity, countless citizens were swept along by a tide that only a very few found the strength or the courage to resist. Why do we keep repeating history? When we don't really 
dive deep into the lessons of history and learn from our successes and especially, most importantly, from our failures. We are, it seems to be, doomed to continue to repeat those same mistakes. Kohelet also is a political leader. This is what's really interesting. And as the chapters continue to unfold, you realize that Kohelet is not only looking uh, as, as a hedonist at experimenting and touching and tasting and feeling all the pleasures of life, but he also or she is also trying to tr figure out a way to be able to rule with a sense of integrity. What does it mean? What does it mean when we talk about Solomonic wisdom? We know some of the great stories that are attributed to uh, to Solomon, and the ability to be able to to rule with a sense of discernment, with integrity, with uh, a grandiose vision, but also with a sense of integrity and morality is something that is very much intertwined and, and I would say sewn into the fabric of. This, um, this Hebrew sage. And the challenge is, is that, that oftentimes those voices, especially the, the prophetic voices, the ones that, that speak to us at an octave higher than we are normally uh, attuned to listening to, they will tell us things that are oftentimes going against the grain, against the herd mentality. And we don't always react well to sitting with those kinds of truths. It's difficult to listen to and to live with the truth and to figure out in a way that is compatible with the amount of breath that I have that I can contain in this body and in this space and this time, how am I going to process what this truth is and how is my neighbor going to process this truth and how are we going to come together as a collective to be able to process this truth so that we don't repeat the mistakes that we uh, were engaged in during this last chapter, this last administration, whatever the case may be. And, and Solomon was a moment of light. And before, beforehand, of course, there was the Davidic dynasty and, and David's rule, um, speaking about Leonard Cohen, thinking of him, remember David was the one who was the author, uh, is ascribed to be the author of the 150 Psalms. And Leonard Cohen saw himself many, in many ways as channeling that ability to write psalms for the, the contemporary broken heart. And then along comes Solomon. And if you look at the, the dynasty that continues after him, it's not always so clear that even as wise a sage as Solomon was, that his descendants and the, the successive dynasties actually followed the wisdom that he was able to articulate. So it's a, it's a very, very fragile thread that connects us to that truth. And it's difficult to sit with truth. We live in a world today where everything is half truth, quarter truth, untruth, and even in living to say we live in a post-truth world. This is something that would would scandalize Kohelet. You write in the book, speech matters. Making space between thoughts and allowing for pregnant pauses and quiet reserve in speech has both the personal and courtly value. And from a radio editing standpoint, I'm always saying the breath, we leave that breath. That's so important to have that breath, to have that pause. We're all in such a rush all the time. Let's talk about what we're rushing toward. Let's talk about death. Well, first of all, I want to just tell you one of the things that I appreciate about radio in general and specific your, your show and your voice is the ability to make space for the breath, for those pregnant pauses, for the, 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 spaciousness, the spaciousness to be able to actually 
just to to receive the words that are coming from you and your interlocutor. I, I really I, I value that, and I think that it's something that we really undervalue in our culture, and it's just such a great opportunity to be able to celebrate that, to uplift it, and to elevate it, and for folks to know that if something touches you in these conversations, it's because of the way that you're conscious of your breath and the way that you make space for the other. It's really, um, it's quite masterful. So I wanted to just acknowledge that. And what are we all racing towards? I mean, it feels like we're all racing towards that red light, right? Leonard Cohen speaks about that as Boogie Street, that we're, uh, we're all kind of tied up in that traffic jam waiting on Boogie Street, but where are we really going? Kohalat has a lot to say in the final chapters um, that, that culminate the book where it goes into a deeper sense of darkness that the, um, the curtain eventually will be drawn and there's a whole series of analogies that Kohelet uses in terms of what happens when we reach the end of the story. Is there something more? Or is that all there is, right? That is to say, are we all just rushing to be on Boogie Street and to get to the, the red light first together or is there something more? The thing that fascinates me about Kohelet is that I think even on Kohelet's terms alone, there is a yearning to be able to say that there is something more. But the Hebrew Bible on its own terms doesn't really know how to articulate a robust sense of the afterlife. If we're honest about what the Hebrew Bible says on its own terms, there is no sense of the afterlife. This is all there is. And Kohelet is saying, when we reach that moment uh, of the end, when the curtain is drawn and the lights go out, there is possibly something more. But Kohelet says, I don't know what it is. I'm not sure. Right? The spirit, the, um, I'm saying it in Hebrew because I want you to just hear the, the assonance of the, of the poetics in the Hebrew. The dust returns to the earth as it was, but the spirit returns to the source that has given it. So Kohelet is, is wondering, what happens to this breath? What happens to this spirit that is circulating around my life and my, my realm of existence? And when I go back into the earth and I return to the earth and my body decomposes and returns to from whence it came, what happens to the breath? So Kohelet is asking this continuously. It's an investigation about what, what is the trajectory of this breath that has an element of spirit in it but can't quite say where it's going, but there's a sense there must be something more. I just I can't put my finger on it. Kohelet is telling you, though, there is a finger and there is a way to point to something more. What I do in the rest of the book that has led to it growing to a few hundred pages is to look from a mystical perspective at a medieval commentary, one of the greatest commentaries of Jewish mysticism known as the Zohar, the Book of Splendor. And I was flabbergasted when I discovered that the way that the Zohar, from a medieval perspective, mystical perspective, rereads all these verses in Kohelet, especially the one that I just referred to, that the dust returns to the earth, but the spirit returns to the source that has given it, and suggests this is not just pointing to, but it is a clear indication not only that there is an afterlife, but that souls are reincarnated from one incarnation into the next. When I read that, I fell off my chair. I said, this is unbelievable. All these years I've been looking at Kohelet on its own terms. I never understood the way the mystics look at this text and they say, we know, Kohelet, you're pointing to something that is beyond. We're going to show you the way. And there's a history of interpretation 
at least within the Jewish mystical tradition, that says there is so much more that is there, that is out there, that Kohelet, Kohelet can't quite point to, but we're going we're gonna to show you the way. And one of the things that for me was so shocking was to say reincarnation, known as Gilgul, the rolling over, the recycling of souls or the upcycling of souls through different incarnations is something that is constantly happening within our lives. And so when we're rushing on Boogie Street to make it to the red light, pay attention to who it is that's beside you on your left and beside you on your right because you don't know what part of the journey those souls are on relative to your own journey. And we're all looking for these things that are going to bring us contentment, make us happy, bring us joy, uh, satisfaction, uh, pleasure, fulfillment. And for you, I get the feeling that the study of Jewish mysticism is your sweet spot. I would have to agree 180%. It's something that uh, I've spent decades dedicating my, my life to, and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. I feel like I'm a kid at the candy shop. And just going back to the, the earlier um, biographical sketch that I gave you about, quote-unquote, graduating from different um, Hebrew day schools, I wish that, and maybe this is going to be my next incarnation, is I'm going to be able to come back to that irascible kid who was always getting thrown into the principal's office for losing uh, an ability to be able to focus in, in class, I, that I'll be able to, to somehow to reach that kid and to, uh, to let him know or her know that there is something beyond that we can go and journey onto and through together. On a certain level, that's also what draws me to the rabbinate, is that I, I, I really am very sensitive to souls on their journeys and wherever they are on that lifelong quest, I really try to discern what is the guidance that this soul needs at this moment and what is the curiosity that we can cultivate together by not necessarily knowing the answer. The answer for me is much less interesting than the question. It's supposedly winter, and uh, I know in my life I'm in winter, and I look back at when I was young and immortal and invulnerable and had no aches and pains and and in the winter when I feel kind of creaky and and, and I, I go out on a cold morning and I say to myself sure it's cold out here <laughs> makes makes me feel makes me feel like an old man this book is quite a tome and if you just would pronounce the full title for our listeners one more time because I'm sure they're all writing it down right now uh, what, what's the full title again well the full title is Merest Breath, and the subtitle are the names of the two commentaries, Kol Hator and Ruach HaOrev, Commentaries on Kohelet. And just so we, the, the listeners know, Panui, which is the think tank that produced this marvelous tome, is a word that means open space, a space that is open for questions that have no simple answers. And that really is... Uh, that's what animates me and drives me and inspires me every day. And the winter, the winter chapters of our lives are an interesting place for us maybe to, to hold and to think about because the sages return to the, the book of Kohelet and they say Solomon was known to have written three books in his lifetime. The question is, where do you find your, your chapter? Which season are you in, right? So the book of Kohelet, many people, if you read it as futility of futilities, vanity of vanities, you'd say, 
That's the final chapter. That's the last thing that Solomon wrote before his death. The first chapter was Song of Songs when he was in love with life. The middle chapter, Midlife Crisis or Midlife Awakening, Proverbs. That's when I became wise. And then I confronted darkness and I became a cynic. But you can flip those around in many different directions and say that my winter chapter is Song of Songs, right? That I fell in love with life when I really, truly was able to understand it. I became wise and I couldn't understand it until I was a cynic. So it's it's fascinating to see the way that our tradition is willing to um, kind of move those archetypes around and to allow them to be something that we don and that we discard depending on where we are in each moment of our lives. Thanks for your time today, Aubrey. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, Vic. <laughs>